Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am Donato Bucci, the Don, and please remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. So before I bring in and welcome in everyone's favorite, we do have a special guest today, a Pittsburgh sports historian guest, I think we could say. Uh, so it should be a fun show. We've got some specific uh, Corona uh, sports topics, just uh, kind of some a cool segment of different uh, type of questions, such as favorites and lists and who's better at what. But before we get to all that, like I said, let's welcome in everyone's favorite, JT, Jimmy Thompson. How you feeling today? Feeling good. I feel like I should kind of get out of the way. We got, you know, Pittsburgh sports legend in the house. And then also I feel like I'm going to get ganged up on today at some point. So um, it's going to be nice to both of you guys and see how this goes. Hopefully you guys don't torture me too much. But no, everything is good. Well, we'll see. I have a feeling you guys are actually going to team up on me. Um, you should be you neither, should be scared. You should be scared. It's about time somebody took you down. Since neither one of you like me, um, so I'm not quite sure why I'm on the show. But uh, let's, without any further ado, let's welcome in our special guest today. And like I said, Pittsburgh uh, sports historian. That's the title that we're giving him for this show. Uh, so he's our go-to guy. Among some other people, obviously, that we know, we've had Chad Fox on before, big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, uh, an expert on the Steelers. But uh, Bob Gentilly, let's welcome him in. Uh, like I said, he's going to be our guy, one of our guys when we talk about pit football, the Steelers, the Pirates, the Penguins, and uh, uh, especially if it's the topics, Bo Jackson as well. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to it. We think it should be a fun one. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for having me today. And I use gentlemen lightly when I'm talking about the dawn. Uh, just here to represent the 412 today i like this guy i already like where he's going see it's proceed already, it's already begun it's already begun um so let's get started the main event topics we don't have too many because there's no live sports going on but the one we want to get to especially since we have bob here from pittsburgh juju smith schuster so uh earlier this week ed bouchette of the athletic previously of the pittsburgh post gazette said he believes the Steelers will allow Juju to become a free agent after uh, this upcoming season, the 2020 season. So let's start with JT. I know Bob's itching at this one, but uh, JT, do you believe that of what Ed Bouchette is saying and what should the Steelers actually do? Well, I know what they'll probably do, which is the same thing you guys have done in the past with any receiver, which is let him go. So 
Oh, they didn't do that for Antonio Brown. Yeah, they kind of didn't have a choice. But most of the time, you guys don't really kind of keep the receivers around as Manuel Sanders. But to be honest with you, I think they should let him walk because the Steelers kind of got a blessing in the skies and they got to look into what their future would be like. If you don't have Ben, then Juju's basically useless. Like he had a great season beside Antonio Brown, who is probably one of the best receivers of all time. And Ben, whether I like it or not, is a Hall of Fame quarterback. So you remove and Le'Veon Bell's not there. So you remove those two or three from the situation. Like, what do you have? Like Juju Smith, basically what he did last year. And he's going to command top dollar on the market just because he'll probably be one of the best receivers available when his, when his free agency time comes in. I feel like what's the difference between him and what's the other guy you guys drafted? Was it Deontay Johnson? Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference between those two? I mean, they basically had a similar year last year. So uh, I think they should let him walk, but I know it's probably going to be tough because he's a fan favorite with the Steelers right now. Yeah, it's some good points there, JT. So, Bob, the floor is yours. Your debut show. We give you a, a Steelers question. Have at it, man. Oh, here we go. <laughs> well, I, I think it all depends on how Ben comes back this year and how Ben plays. If, if uh, Ben has a great season, um, I don't think you want to go into 2021 without that kind of weapon for Ben because he's in his twilight years and he's going to need a a big time guy to throw to. And if, if he has a good year, that means Juju had a, a good year and, you know, Hey, sometimes the Steelers are going to have to open the, uh, the wallet eventually and, <laughs> and pay someone. Yeah. I, I agree with both of you guys. Uh, I mean, as far as what Ed Bouchette's saying, like, I'm not going to say he's wrong, but I can't fully believe it yet that they'll just let Juju walk. So I think it's combination what you guys said. I think it depends on the type of season Juju has. And a lot of that is based on that he missed Ben a lot more than he actually missed AB on the other side, in my opinion. But you, but you know what, though? Like, I'm going to fight back on that because let's not act like they didn't play together at least a little bit in the beginning of last year. And Juju still struggled. It was a game and a half, and they but played still, New England, the best he, he pass still, defense he, he in the still, league. He still started slow. How, here's the thing. The question Deontay for Johnson came on second half of the year where he really started to play really well, and that, that would have been another big factor had he had Ben at that time, too. True. And I, I want to get this out the way. I'm not saying Juju's not talented. But my thing is, as Steelers fans, both of you, how upset would you be if, let's say, next year, just because of where they are as a team, they cave and give Juju the contract that they didn't want to give any of the other receivers that left Pittsburgh? Like, they could have easily gave Antonio Brown the kind of money that they're probably going to have to give Juju to keep him, and you guys could be rolling. Like, I think that would be irresponsible for them to do that. I'll let Bob, I'll let Bob go first. Well... Uh, well, one thing I actually like to see from Juju is I'd like to see him put the Steelers first instead of his brand because, <laughs> you know, people can say what they want about Antonio's uh, extracurricular activities, but he was about his craft first. He worked harder than pretty much anyone on that team. But I don't feel that uh, – we get the same from Juju because he's out doing his thing. He's not necessarily out doing what's best for the, uh, the team. So that's a great point, Bob. And to answer your question, JT, for me, 
it's hard to say because it's, I think the other part's going to depend on how much does he want. If he wants the Antonio 15, 16, up to 20 million a year, then no, that's not realistic because a lot of it is what Bob says where how invested is he in his NFL career? So where we so knew Bob, AB was all in on it. Bob may basically made... thinks Juju dances too much on social media. And <laughs> instead of doing that, he should be in the gym. I get you. But, but, here's but the, the other part is if it's 12, 13, 14, I think the Steelers, and he has a decent, a good year with Ben back. I think that they should and do pay him because once Ben retires, they're going to need those offensive pieces for the next weapon or for the next quarterback. All right, here, one more thing before we move on, because obviously uh, we know he hates receivers, so we got to talk about a lot of them today. So we'll get to (laughs) that. But I think the one thing that will help you guys out in the Steelers organization and Ben Roethlisberger really need to do this next year, they need to make sure they make Juju fall in love with playing in Pittsburgh because he's proven that he's one of those nice guys. And if you make him fall in love with the team and the city even more, I think he'll be willing to take a discount to come back. Uh, I, I want to think in the beginning when the Steelers first drafted Juju, his athletic director at USC at the time, I believe, was Lynn Swan. And I want to think that Swan had a conversation with him about how can you make the city love you. So I think in that regard, he got good advice in the beginning, but maybe he's taken some of it too far. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a, he's a young like he's a young yeah, guy. Yeah, he's like what twenty two. Yeah, he's he's a young guy too. So I know he's into his video games. He said he would stay up late doing that. So you know, over time, I think guys kind of come into their own too. So I think the Steelers are usually really good about what their decisions they make, whether it's through the draft or free agency with their receivers. And I'm pretty confident. <laughs> Jarvis <play>. Jones. <laughs> receivers Jarvis Jones is not a receiver I said receivers drafting receivers free agent wide receivers they're usually really good about that and you see with Deontay Johnson too he's going to be a good one so him and Juju that's a good one too for Ben next year and maybe beyond all right so let's keep it rolling with receivers because we know how much our guest hates them uh so let's go to Dallas and we're gonna um talk about Amari Cooper so Rex Ryan uh, was recently under fire for his comments on uh, ESPN's Get Up uh, this past week where he called Amari Cooper a turd. Crazy. <laughs> and he uh, also was just saying that he that Cooper doesn't show up for big games. And he also stated that Cooper doesn't always finish his routes and that the Cowboys essentially shouldn't have paid him that big deal. Uh, of course, you know, social media got all over Rex Ryan and he came out and apologized. But here's the thing I want to ask you guys. Everything that Ryan put out there, do you agree with him when it comes to how he critiqued Amari's game? Go ahead, Bob. Go ahead, Bob. (laughs) Anytime someone goes in on wide receivers, I love it. Because, (laughs) I mean, these these guys, they're divas. They bring it upon themselves. Um, Do I think Rex Ryan was right? Probably because, I mean, that's been – receivers mo for the cowboys for years like it seems like they have those type of guys on their team that end up causing a problem or giving up on plays and i i don't think he needed to apologize for it he didn't call, he called him a turd you know it's not like he called him anything terrible 
that was pretty bad though. I mean, you can't say that. On yeah, I, I think hard. I think. I think, I mean, you would not want someone to call you that if you feel like, hey, I, I'm a professional about stuff. Amari Cooper's never really, as far as I know, had issues off the field. Well, well, so, well, like, well can, can we, can we I, ask him this question? This is, this is a special guest. Ask him this question. Do you know what Amari Cooper sounds like? Not, not pretend, like, I don't, I don't. You're not alone. Nobody <laughs> knows what he sounds like. You know why? Because he doesn't speak. He is in the Julio Jones class of he's just a really good receiver that puts the team first and he doesn't really go on the spotlight. Come on, you got to disagree with Rex on this one. I mean, I, I think Rex was wrong for the for what he called him. And he did later apologize, which I don't know if that also included picking up the phone and apologizing to Amari, which is what I think he should do. He's not now, doing that. <laughs> now, now, if you want to go to his actual comments about his game and whether they should assign him that's something different so he was wrong for calling him what he did but like I said before the Cowboys like in Dak they've kind of messed up this whole situation and so they could not let Amari go they had to sign him they they gave up a first round pick for him but if you look at what Rex actually said in terms of on the field production in big games against a Stephon Gilmore or road games he's actually right he doesn't show up for road games or against good corners. Zero catches against Stephon Gilmore. A and lot of people get shut down by Gilmore. But it though. doesn't matter. You're, you're this big name. You just, made, you, just made that same, you just made that same point about Juju. Oh, you know, it's the Patriots, the number one pass defense. It's the same thing. They shut everyone down. But that was one game. Amari does this against all of the good corners. And then on the road, he averages for his career 27 less yards per game in this past year. Um, he had about 400 less yards on the road than at home. So Rex is technically not wrong with his actual football analysis. It was the personality analysis that Rex was wrong for and, and was correct in apologizing for. Because Rex Ryan is just the offensive guru, like the biggest one of all time, because he can just spot talent. You know, Mark <laughs> Sanchez, that really worked out. Um, it's kind of hard to argue against uh you know the road versus home splits but i'm pretty sure like the cowboys offense as a whole struggled on the road so that's not just amari but i really took issue with the the route running because one i think amari is one of the best route runners in the league even though me personally I, he's not one of my favorite receivers because i thought he disappeared too much in oakland but he came to dallas he's he's balled out to be honest with you so he's earned the money but if you want to talk about with Rex saying, oh, he doesn't finish his routes. I just urge him to turn on the tape of when they played the Dolphins last year and he ran our $100 million corner, Xavier Howard, out of the picture. The dude can ball. He's One, he's been hurt, and he doesn't really complain about it, and he's still playing the games. And two, Amari is only been with the team a year and a half. Like, he's still gelling with, you know, Dak and the team. And I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, when he first came to Dallas, they didn't have the same offensive coordinator they did as last season, right? Because Kellen Moore, that was, his, that was his first year last year calling plays, right? Yeah, I believe so, yes. All right, so he's learning a new system. He's in a new team, and he's got his second offensive coordinator in two straight seasons. So if this were a quarterback and he were struggling, we would say, oh, that's the reason. But Amari's balled out, and he's still learning. I think we should just give him time. So Rex Ryan, definitely wrong on all accounts. And, I mean, like I said, he doesn't know offense, so what does he know? He knows defense. Yeah, too bad Mari's not a corner. He's a receiver.
All right, sticking with receivers, uh, let's go to uh, Donato. I know this is your favorite. Uh, I don't know about I don't know about you so much, but let's talk about D Hop, uh, where Coach Bill O'Brien on a phone conference with reporters this week uh, stated that he stood by his choice to trade D Hop, and the reason that he did it was it was in the best interest of the team, and he traded him because Hopkins requested a raise with three years left on his current deal. So after hearing Bill O'Brien's, in my opinion, BS reason for trading D-Hop, do you think that this was the right move by the Texans? So I'm going to let Bob go first because I know uh, where Bill O'Brien used to coach college, <laughs> and I w I'm kind of interested to see what Boss says about Bill O'Brien. Well, I, I actually want to think that he took a, a page out of the Bill Belichick playbook and wanted to – eliminate a, a problem that was probably going to come up either now or later. And you, I mean, you hate to see a team give up that kind of talent, but maybe he's jumping the gun on a, a sub uh, addition by subtraction. Well, wow, can you hold on before you go? Can you, can we, can we just get this on official record? He actually called a wide receiver, a talent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see what you're saying, Bob, but no, no. no how is this in the not. best? How is this in the best interest of the team when he's on their contract for three more years? So, like, you've got a top three receiver easily in the game with three years left. You have him at least. He's got to play at least one more year on that contract, kind of before. You know, he starts to make a big stink about it before he holds out, before the ex the possible extension comes up. Like, so is this year's team, that's where I'm focusing on because Bill O'Brien might not have after this year in the Texans, this window that they have with J.J. Watt and some of these other guys. Oh, it's like, closed. It's, that, that window's gone. It's pretty much like it is almost closed. I wouldn't say completely almost. Slammed shut. <laughs> so, like, is this year's team better without him? Forget all the distractions and the uh, addition by subtraction. It's not because DJ, you you only got an extra second round pick in DJ, and DJ's been injury prone. We know that, but he's played on and, two bad offenses. But go ahead. But again, you then you go look at the cap situation. DJ is going to count for twenty over the next two years. D Hop was only going to be twenty five over the next two, and. Maybe you give him that quick extension like the Falcons did to Julio to allow him to play one or two more years without him making a big deal. Like, you can't just give up this talent basically for a second-round pick because DJ would be great on a team that's on the verge of a Super Bowl. The Texans are not. So he might have a great year, but I don't see how it makes the team better. But to both of you, can we just admit that Bill O'Brien, let's say he does keep his job for the next three or four years. Don't know how they do it, but um, isn't he setting a bad precedent? Because correct me if I'm wrong, the whole point of just any job is you earn your money based on your performance. That's any job. So D-Hop has balled out and all he did was ask his boss for a raise. So your response to that question is not to let's sit down and talk about it, not a no. No, I'm going to fire you. Like, think about the precedent, like, in a message that sends to the rest of the team. So one or, one or two things is going to happen. Either somebody else is going to ask for a raise, and then what are you going to do? Are you going to trade them? Because you traded the best player on the team in a lot of people's eyes, 
So what are you going to do when somebody like Laramie Tunsil asks for a raise when he outplays his contract extension they're going to sign him to? He already is. Yeah, I'm saying. So we'll get to that. What are you going to do? You're going to get rid of him? Or what if somebody like a Deshaun Watson is like, you know what? You don't know what the hell you're doing. I want to get out of town. Oh, I know how to do it. I'll just ask for a raise because I know you're not going to give it to me so you can trade me. So I think he's shooting himself in the foot. And no, I don't I don't think this makes his move of D-Hop any more, you know, of a pill to swallow. It's still a stupid move. Everybody knows that the Texans messed this up. And you're not going to find anybody who knows anything about football to say, yeah, that was a great deal to trade D-Hop in his prime when we were on the verge of possibly making a run for the Super Bowl. I, I agree with that. I mean, I wasn't saying it was a good move, but I was maybe trying to just play devil's advocate and and give a little bit different perspective on maybe what they were thinking. But no, nah, I agree. Like, it, it, it's you can't give up that kind of talent. Yeah, I, I like how you kind of uh, put that in perspective, JT, where like, you know, what's going to happen with the next guy and then the next guy. Like, that's that's I, I like how you did that. Um, so this segment wouldn't be called the main event without combat sports. So let's talk about a guy who made the headlines, uh, this past week, John Jones, he was arrested, uh, back on March 26th, actually, um, on four different counts, including aggravated DWI, negligent use of a firearm, possession of an open container and no proof of insurance, uh, in the vehicle. He did plead guilty to the DWI, and so he will not have to serve jail time. Um, so one thing he's had, he's had a, a history of of run-ins with the law, however, has served very little to almost no jail time. So JT, I want to ask you, is it time for the authorities to be a little bit more harsh on John Jones and for him to not just be able to plead to these you know, probation, um, uh, basically the consequences of probation or, or anything else like that. Like, does he need to serve some jail time for him to, to get better and, and to learn? No, he needs to serve prison time. This is ridiculous. How many times can you break the rules at this, at this magnitude? Like these aren't just like simple, like, Oh, you know, you know, I was driving without a license or, you know, uh, I got into a squabble with a fan. Like these are crimes that literally put people away for years, and he's done this for years. Like I don't know how many times he'll come back, fight, he'll test positive for something, some banned substance, uh, like whether it's coke or he, how many times has he been arrested for drive uh, DWI? And they just like you know what, sweep it under the rug, and the UFC just welcomes him right back. This is ridiculous. I think it's sending a bad message. I mean, I like Jones, but at what point are you going to realize that this dude's not going to get his life together? And it's even scarier to me is that he's done this for so long, but you got two other brothers that are around your same age, and they're also professional athletes, and you guys are close, and they can't even talk you into turning your life around. Obviously, I'm talking about Chandler Jones, and then um, I think his other brother is Arthur, right? He used to play in the league. I did not. I did not know about his uh, other brother. Yeah, they ha- he has two other brothers. So I'm like, if those guys are supposed to be, you know, your family, they're all in the same boat as you. They understand like the pressures that come along with being a star professional athlete. They can't talk you off the ledge. Like, there's just no hope. Like, I don't understand. Like, at some point, this is gonna bite the UFC in the ass because they keep bending over backwards to support him. I know he's still very talented in the main draw, but 
at some point you just got to cut bait and realize some people are just lost causes. I'm going to leave the jail prison time and charges up to the prosecutors and district attorney's office. To well, that's you. you are the prosecutor. No, right? I'm, so, not. So I'm, tell not. Us how, I'm not. How much is he looking at with his rap sheet? How much is he looking at? <laughs> I am at? not. I am not. So I'm going to leave that up to the actual professionals there. But this is what I would say is Dana White and the friends of John Jones that I see on social media that say, oh, we always support you. We have your back. Like, why don't you actually get this guy real help? Like, actually try to help this guy out. Um, and because what caused the police to look into this incident was that he fired the gun at that time while under the influence. And it's only a matter of time before he gets himself and others around him or complete strangers hurt. I mean, JT was talking about his history. Like, go back to 2012 is when it started, DWI. He drove his Bentley into a utility pole. April 2015, a felony hit and run. He had some drag racing in 2016, but then October 2019, disorderly conduct after being accused of kissing and choking a waitress and slapping her. Like, it's just keeps getting worse and so if that this, were us if we did that like i don't even think we'd make it to jail like the cops would like handle us on site like that's ridiculous and, and it would be a it would be very difficult also to to get a job you'd have to report all of that stuff so his punishment then is listen you know me jt and actually bob knows me well enough too that i'm all about second chances and so and giving guys more leeway than maybe they should because but there's a difference between like, second chances and annual chances. Exactly. Like this is every and, year this happens. And that's the difference. So any sort of organization, combat sport should just say, no, John Jones, unless you can show over the course of two, three years that you can be clean and not, you know, and not put yourself and others into danger, then you're not fighting anywhere. No one's allowing you to fight. And then maybe at that point, the people around him that really true care, that truly care about him can get him real help um so i just think that maybe his time is is up in terms of his fighting career um and hopefully he can you know go on and and still be uh you know and still have a career somewhere else but as far as fighting i think it might be the end of it like you said jt it's an annual you know he gets annual chances bob uh do you want to add anything to this i think we no no i'm Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought we covered it pretty well. So JT, you got our next segment. It's been renamed. Because I I know, I know you want to introduce it. You want to introduce the the new uh, segment, the new segment. We're going to go, you know, these are our brief topics, not main events. So we're going to go call it a little third and short. So JT, what do we got up first? All right. um, I doubt this will be anything (laughs) other than short because you guys are going to have a lot to say. So let's go to everyone's favorite receiver, Antonio Brown who was recently seen running routes with his cousin, uh, Ravens wide receiver, Hollywood Brown, and also catching passes from Lamar Jackson. Should we make anything of it? Or is it just, you know, a uh, sign that they'll sign him? Or is it just for show? Absolutely, we should make something of it. Um, (laughs) I think the, the Tampa thing already got shut down. So, you know, now that he's working out with some Ravens players, who would love it to stick it more than the Steelers than the Ravens? And it's not like he's not still one of the best receivers out there. So absolutely we should make something of it. 
Yeah, as a Steeler fan, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little worried if he goes to the Ravens. So I'm a little worried about this. But I don't think we need to make too much of it because there's a lot of connections there, right? Hollywood Brown's his cousin. Lamar Jackson is the quarterback. Is South Florida and the quarterback of Hollywood Brown. They all live in South Florida. They're all from Miami. And, you know, they're they're trying to stay in shape. And who else to stay in shape with? If you're going to break the social distance rules, it's going to be relatives and guys that are in your same city and that you're close to with already. Well, I'm agree with you guys, even though the Ravens, I think yesterday just came out and said that they're, they're not interested in signing Antonio Brown, but I didn't think about it from your perspective, but yeah, this would be great to stick it to the Steelers, but also for the Ravens. Yeah, I think they should because they actually need wide receivers and they have an MVP quarterback on a rookie deal. Like they have no choice but to explore this option. So uh, I think you guys might be in trouble and should be nervous. All right. So let's move on from AB to our new segment, kind of, uh, because of the coronavirus, not having live events, not allowing us to have live events. The Corona Extra segment which jt's gonna work on a deal with corona extra not doing it you're not throwing me in the fire you are strictly in charge of all corporate situations so that's on you you're not even trying see see what i have to put up with uh bob with jt man (laughs) he's not even trying to get yeah i know you gotta put put up with a lot more (laughs) thanks thanks all right so and uh, ESPN's been doing a lot of bracket matchups. One of the ones was ESPN's NCAA greatest player of all time. And one of the issues I had with it was uh, the college basketball player named Lou Alcindor, who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, lost to Shaq in a fan vote by a score of uh, or a result of 73% to 27% in favor of Shaq. So Shaq moved on. JT, I'll start with you. Is this a sign that we should lose faith in sports fans? No, it's just a sign that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is just too old, probably for the people who were voting on this to even remember him. So, like, come on, think about it. Like, he's too old, and even if you think about Shaq, He's getting to the point where he's too old for most of the basketball fans to remember. It's just that he's on TV doing funny, stupid things and like on TikTok dancing in his house. But I mean, think about think about the basketball fans. Like they're all young, like that 20 to 30 range. They're all like digital. They're all online. Like they don't know who the hell Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. Like much less Luau Cinder. Like they don't even know that's the same person. So I'm not losing faith. This is just what happens. Like people get old. And then it's, it turns into that, oh, well, in my day, this guy was the best versus like, oh, well, in our day, this is the best. So it's that whole Kobe Jordan thing. Like, I think one day Michael Jordan will fall into this category and they'll be like, well, what's the hype of this guy? We never seen him play. <laughs> See, that would be ridiculous, even though, you know, not a huge like a huge Jordan fan. But Bob, uh, what do you got for this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not losing faith in fans as a whole, because I realized most of that voting demographic, like you said, they don't, they don't even know that Lou Alcindor is cream of Dolja bar. And, and, and the other thing about that, that age group, they don't tend to like go back and look at sports history. Like, like we did, like, you know, we had, 
we had to go back and look at the World Book Encyclopedia if we wanted to find out old information. <laughs> but it actually makes me lose faith in them and the, in the fact that they have all this technology at their fingertips and they don't use it. So can we trust them to, to hold up the, the history of sports, uh, passing it on to future generations? I don't, I don't know if we can. And, and in that regard, yes, I have lost faith in, in that group. You guys are so dramatic. Like, it's okay. Some people think Shaq is better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's okay. No, because you, I, I'm, I'm losing faith because it's not okay to say, oh, Shaq, like some people think Shaq is better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You have to look at the college aspect of it. Yeah, Shaq went on to have a great pro career, but in college, JT, there's no debate. Like, no debate whatsoever. Shaq averaged 21.6 points and 13 and a half boards per game in his college career. Not bad, but for his team, he never went further than the second round, the round of 32. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, three-year average, 26.4 points, 15.5 rebounds a game for his career in college at UCLA. And oh, by the way, he was a three-time champion. And back then, freshmen were not eligible to play varsity sports. So every year he played for UCLA for the big team, guess what? They were champions. So there is no doubt that ESPN made him a one seed for a reason. He's probably the greatest college basketball player ever. Definitely better than Shaq was in college. So I like what Bob said. Like, are people going back and looking up history? Like, we were kids when Shaq was in college going into the NBA. And we knew about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar back then. So I'm wondering if people our age voted for Shaq because they just remember him in the NBA. That's what's concerning with the sports fans. Because are you telling me 40 years from now, people are not going to put Tom Brady in the top 10 of, of uh, quarterbacks of all time? Probably not. Well, if he bombs in Tampa, they might. You never know. <laughs> Maybe. But anyway, I think there's some cause of concern there. You guys are overdramatic. <laughs> no, that's usually you. So that's I'm surprised you're not – a little bit more worried about that. And if that's the case, I'm telling you to chill. It's okay. <laughs> well, also another bracket vote was the best NCAA college basketball team of all time. The Elite Eight were down to these eight teams. So, guys, I want to know who you've got. Uh, for the listeners at home, it was the 1973 UCLA team, the 83 Houston Cougar team, the 92 Duke team, the 79 Michigan State team with uh, Magic, the 1982 UNC uh, team with Michael Jordan, the 1956 San Francisco Dons with Bill Russell. That's a great nickname for a team. The 1976 Indiana Hoosiers and the 1990 running Rebels of UNLV. JT, who you got? Best team. Come on, man. You got to go with five slamma jamma, man. It's Houston, man. Come on. Just look at who was on that team. They, they, they were of all I know. teams on this list. They were, the, they were a non-champion team. But just well, just look who they lost to. I mean, if you're going to lose to anybody, like it might as well be Jim Valvano. I mean, Jimmy V is like hey, one forget of the, about it, huh? Yeah, exactly, right? It's your Italian brother. He's one of the faces of like college basketball history. And just look who was on that Houston team. They got Clyde Drexler. Kim Olajuwon, uh, Michael Young, uh, Larry Misha. Like, that team was loaded. I think that's probably – that might be the most talented team, like, in college basketball history. Like, when you look at it from 
like the college perspective and then like what they did in the NBA as a group, I got to go with them, even though they didn't win at all. <laughs> all right, Bob, who you got? So I'm going to stick in my wheelhouse with the 90s here. So they got 90 UNLV and 92 Duke. I'm going to split the difference here, and I'm going to say 91 Duke knocked off the better UNLV team that was undefeated. Oh, I don't know. They, uh, you know, that, that Duke team had seven losses, but through the tournament they beat some uh, pretty big names, UConn, St. John's, UNLV, and Kansas in the, in the title game. Now, I think people might overrate that 92 Duke team a little bit because they beat the Fab Five, but that was their freshman year. So I don't think they were as good as they were the next year, but I'm going with 91 Duke for who they beat. See, this is why I was worried about big bringing Bob on because he knows how to kind of push my buttons when it comes to talking sports, as JT does every once in a while. Why do, knows. You, why do you hate Duke so much? I don't get it. Like, if you were a, ba- a good basketball player, I feel like you would fit into that program, like, perfectly. Like, you wow, already got thanks. the hair. That's like a backhand, backhanded compliment. Like, if you were a good basketball player. No, you are. Like, with your, with your defensive aggressiveness, Coach K would definitely give you a scholarship, and you will fit right in. Passing not, the ball to Zion Williamson and watching him dunk, clapping your hands, and then getting back on defense. <laughs> See, it's always about defense. The guys that aren't as good, it's like, oh, he plays good defense. But um, if you admit it, I feel like the reason you hate Duke is because when you were playing basketball, you secretly wanted to be Bobby Hurley. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, not see, I do it. Don't psychoanalyze me like you wanna be, that. You want to like be JJ Reddick so bad. You want to be you want to be <laughs> I, JJ Reddick. I wanted to be able to shoot threes like JJ Reddick. That's that's no doubter, no doubt there. So you can stop playing defense. That's why. <laughs> I didn't have to try as hard then. Um, well, I'm gonna go with well. The best name there is obviously the San Francisco Dons, but I think the best team there is the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. They were undefeated, the last undefeated championship team. Quinn Buckner, a great player, underrated. You got Bobby Knight, one of the greatest coaches of all time, coaching that team. And back then, you know, there there were not 64 teams, so the field was much smaller, more difficult to get into. Every round was a tough opponent. They beat, I believe, number 18 St. John's in the first round. And then um, number two-ranked Marquette, number five-ranked UCLA, and then the championship game, uh, the ninth-ranked Michigan team. And then the year later, Marquette, who Indiana beat, ended up being the champs in 77. So Indiana went through a tough road, last undefeated champion. So it's got to be Indiana. Question. I just noticed this. Why why do you guys think there's no respect for the the Florida Gators teams that won the back-to-back? Because if you look at it, I mean, they were really talented. They won back-to-back, and all those guys went to be at least pretty decent in the NBA. I think it was more about the – I mean, think about this. Look at some of – look at the Elite Eight teams that finished here. You've got no one beyond the 92 Duke team, and I think part of it is that it's kind of seen in college basketball that talent wasn't the same you lost exactly you lost those christian leitners that went four years the cream of the jabars that went four years because it really ends with i think that 92 michigan or the 93 michigan team is on there that lost the unc 
and that was kind of like one of the last teams that you really think of as like wow like this is a college like dominant team yeah yeah i don't know man what florida did i feel like gets overlooked you want to talk about losing faith in sports fans i feel like people don't talk about that (laughs) enough dude they went back to back just look at some of the players they played against that were still in college like that ucla team they played wasn't they they had nba talent on it so it's not like they were just playing a bunch of scrubs of leftover guys who just couldn't make the league like they yeah. won back-to-back titles. Can, like, most teams on this list say that? No. I mean, obviously, Duke can. UNLV almost did. UCLA, I think, did. But you're right. I don't know. Maybe it's that old guy mentality that, well, back in my day, these teams <laughs> were better. So you might be right there, Should JT. be losing faith in you two. <laughs> you, in, in what? Hmm? Losing faith in what? I should be losing faith in you two. Why? You guys are the old guy mentality. See, nah. because of you, the Gators are getting overlooked. <laughs> um, well, next one, I think this is pretty easy. JT, I think you would agree. Best college football team of all time, who you got. So, JT, I think we're going to be on the same page on this one because it's a no-doubter. So, let's, let's give Bob the floor real quick. Make your point real quick of why you're wrong, Bob. So, I'm going to go – into the era which I think was the greatest era of college football. And I'm going to go with the 1988 Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That was the one I'm, year no one else beside Miami won a title in that decade. <laughs> and that's the year he picks. Of course. Hey, I'm going to give Miami props and say they were the team of that decade and Notre Dame knocked them off when they were number one. So – you know, other other than that Miami game, Notre Dame only had one other game that was close in points, and that was the first game of the season. They beat number nine Michigan by two points, and then, you know, they knocked off some names here, Michigan State, Purdue, Stanford, Pitt, and then later in the season, the end of the season, Penn State. Then they went to USC, number two USC, knocked them off. 27 to 10. And then, you know, they beat WVU pretty handily in the Fiesta Bowl when uh, WVU was ranked number three. So, was that the year they had Major Harris? Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I got to, I got to go with Notre Dame. All right. You know, with all due respect to historic teams like Oklahoma. Back in the 40s, it won, you know, some ridiculous <laughs> amount of games in a row. But All right, JT. Do you, you want to tell him? Do you want to tell him or no. do you want me to tell him? Go ahead. I'll clean up any, any things you miss because there's a lot to talk about this team. Go ahead. Man, what is wrong with you? It's the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, and it's not even close. Like, that team, there will never be another team like that again in college football because college football recruiting will never be able to do that. But just look at that team. The defense that year, they allowed just nine points a game. Eight out of the 12 teams we played scored seven points or less. Oh, and if that's not good enough for you, just look at who was on this squad. Ed Reed, Andre Johnson, Jeremy Shockey, Vince Wolford, Brian McKinney, Jonathan Vilma, DJ Williams, Antro Roll, Frank Gore, and Willis McGehee. Oh, and if you want to throw in something for fun, Kellen Winslow Jr. was on our red shirt just sitting there. Like, there's no debate in the discussion. Like, Donato, you can say anything else you want to try to convince him. All right, let me, let, me, let me just jump in, finish this easy argument up. Bob, they destroyed 
everyone in their way, including There's Nebraska. Some pretty weak Big East teams in there. Okay, hold on. I'll get there, including Nebraska in the title game, where at the time everyone was talking about how great Nebraska was. Eric Crouch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Heisman Trophy winner. So there were only two games that finished within 20 points. They averaged 42.6. They were only giving up 9.75. On top of that, the defense allowed 13 touchdowns all year. The Canes' defense scored eight on their own. And you talk about the Big East. Okay, maybe they weren't great teams, but still traditional powerhouses. Syracuse, Virginia Tech. Um, and you – of all the people always defend Big East football, right, with Boston College in there and Pitt, and now you're just dissing them. But look outside of the conference. They played four Power Five conference schools, Penn State, Florida State, Washington, Nebraska. They outscored those guys 44.4 points to 12.4. And then, oh, on top of that, not only are they a great team, all the individuals, JT said, look at their accolades. Six players were All-Americans. 13 of the first team, all conference. I know it was the Big East, but what's it matter? Over over the those that four-year period of those guys that were on that roster, 38 draft picks. 19 of 22 of those starters were actually drafted in 13 Pro Bowl players uh, eventually in the NFL on that particular roster. So and you make and you make a another point. I never I think about this all the time, and I don't I'm just bringing it up now, is that all those guys that we just rattled off for the UM team, like they were good at UM, but we won as a team. Like I think the time they were, some of them were ahead of their time as far as like on offense. And I think our scheme held them back a little bit because some of these guys, you had no idea they were going to turn into hall of famers. Once they got to the NFL, like Andre Johnson was good, but he wasn't as good as he was in the NFL. Same thing with like Ed Reed, like you had no idea he was going to turn into that. So we did all this while, kind of suppressing the talent of our players. So I think that makes that team even more the number one of all time. I mean, it's crazy. Sean Taylor was a backup on that team, right? I know. <laughs> anyway, Bob, do you even want to try or can we move on? You can see I mean, this one. They smashed Pitt on my birthday, so I'm not even going to say no. <laughs> that's why. That's, that's why he's a little sour about it. All right. So biggest chokers in sports history, who you guys got? It could be. However you want to break down, if you want to throw a couple names out there, that is fine. Uh, go ahead, Bob. You go first. I got three. I'm going to throw it out real quick, and then one main one. Uh, Greg Norman, uh, <laughs> Florida State kickers. <laughs> I like that one. JT and I like that one. <laughs> uh, the, the 90s Atlanta Braves, they won 14 division titles and only – produced one World Series title out of that. That's pretty bad. That's crazy with all that pitching that they had. But my my main point here is Barry Bonds in his postseason in Pittsburgh was just – he <laughs> was absolutely that. atrocious. I knew that was coming. So, you know, 68 at-bats in those three years. He only had 13 hits, uh, two doubles and one homer. From an MVP caliber – Player, he won the MVP in 90, won it in 92, should have won it in 91. Uh, you you don't expect that type of just lack of production from that guy. Three RBIs and obviously to top it all off, the, the really weak throw to not get the slowest runner in the last century of baseball. That's 
that's that's not good. He's he's just a supreme choker. Wow, that was a cheap shot at Damn, us. You guys, you guys, are you guys having forgiven Barry Bonds in nah. Pittsburgh? Is that what's going on? It's it's a touchy subject. Touchy subject. <laughs> JT, what about you? I wasn't gonna go that route, but I like the way he kind of set it up with some like honorable mentions. So I'll give three honorable mentions, and then I'll go with my main guy. Um, I gotta put uh, Peyton Manning, Tony Romo, and then uh, Tino Sanceri on the list of three honorable mentions. And then uh, my guy that I'm going with is, and I like him too, so this is this is really hard for me to call him the, the biggest choker, is Ovechkin, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, man. Like, how many times for the Capitals has he been the best player in hockey? I know you guys are going to say no. Sid the kid, Sid the yeah, kid. Yeah, but I mean, Ovechkin's been at the worst a top two player for many, many of the last, what, like 10, 12 years? And sometimes they had the best team in the East. And what happens, no matter how good that record is, they play Pittsburgh and Crosby and the Penguins just knock him out. And sometimes he's lost big game seven. So I got to put him as my all-time biggest choker. I'm yeah. curious how Tino Sinceri made it in there. <laughs> that's just a that's yeah, just, he's a just slight, terrible. That's just slight jazz he's, at you, he's, Bob. Uh, he, he's we, wa- he's wasted a lot of a lot of decent talent that Pitt has had through the years. Do you know what Tino Sinceri did do at my high school, Central Catholic? He won a state title. That's something Dan Marina didn't do. Ooh, Dan Marina, if you're listening, come on and debate that. <laughs> um I, I like those guys uh, that you um, that you mentioned. I like some of those names. Good job, guys. I broke it up into chokers of a specific like instance or play, as well as an event, whether it was a game and then a career. So for event, I got to go Greg Norman. Bob, you had mentioned it. Just to be specific, he blew a six-stroke lead in the 1996 Masters. He ended up shooting a final round 78, lost by five strokes. So he basically lost 11 strokes in one day uh, going into the final round as the leader. The specific um, play, I got to go Chris Weber almost to the day on the anniversary here. He totally just blanked. I think the ultimate definition of choking on a play. First, he traveled, got away with it, then called timeout after they had just had a huddle from a timeout saying, we have no more timeouts. Ran to the corner, called a timeout, definitely panicked. Granted, he was, you know, young, a sophomore at the time. And then career, Bob, I agree with you, Bonds, to further elaborate on it. I wouldn't say just those three years. I would say his whole playoff career besides 2002 where he hit eight homers, 16 RBIs in 17 games. He played a total of 48 playoff games. So the other 31, he had one homer, eight RBIs, career playoff batting average of 245. Five of the seven playoff appearances, he hit 250 or less. He hit below 200, I believe, in two of those three playoff appearances with the Pirates. So it's, you know, that's kind of the ultimate definition of choking, right, in the big moments. Um, Next topic, I know Bob's going to like this one, JT as well. Me, not so much, but I'll answer it. The 1990s Chicago Bulls, they won six titles. ESPN's first take, give them credit. They had this great debate. So we decided to steal it. Thank you, ESPN. Who was more, JT, I'll start with you. Who was more important to Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen or Phil Jackson? Oh, that's tough because 
I'm I'm in the camp of I think Michael Jordan kind of made Pippen the top 50 player of all time, but I think Pippen is really good, but it's got to be Phil because you've seen what he's done as a coach at other stops, like what he did with the Lakers. So it's not so much of his X's and O's. I just think the fact that like in the NBA at that level, you have to be able to manage egos and they have to respect you in the process. So anytime a coach can do that with Jordan, but also do it with people like Kobe and Shaq, I got to go with Phil as the most important piece. All right, Bob, go ahead. I got to go with Pippen because uh, <laughs> every, every Batman needs a Robin. Um, I think as that Bulls team developed, if Doug Collins stayed around, they probably would have still won titles. Uh, they could even have Mike Fratello. They would have won, won a title. <laughs> uh, Phil, did, he, did Phil ever win a title without having the best player in the league at the time on his team? I don't remember any, so I, I got to give it to Pippen. And I and I sort of look at it like the same way uh, Yarmer Yager was to Mario Lemieux. You know, Yager came in. That's a good comparison. Started, yeah, and then Mario won two cups. It didn't matter who the coach was. Yeah, they had, exactly. they had coaches for for different uh, for each of those back to back cups. There, um, I agree with you, Bob. I think it was Pippen, Phil. Also had the help of Tex Winter with the X's and O's with the triangle offense. So it was not all Phil Jackson. And I agree. I think eventually whoever was coaching that team, as long as they weren't the worst coach in the history of sports, they were going to win a title with MJ and Pippen. Uh, Pippen's defense allowed Jordan to not have to guard the best offensive player night in and night out. And that adds up. But also think about this. Game six of the 1989 Eastern Conference Finals, they lost – to the Pistons. Pippen with his migraines played only one minute there. Then 1990, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. They lose again to the Pistons. This time, Pippen plays 42 minutes, but guess what? He was not the same old Pippen in that game. Maybe it was the pressure. Maybe it was headaches again. He had two points, and they lost 93 to 74. That is the moment right there that Jordan could have done all he wanted. He could have went out, scored 50. He could have balked up like he did because the Jordan rules, the Pistons were pounding him every time he took a layup. But guess what? He needed Pippen, 91, 92, 93, to show up and be the Scottie Pippen, one of the top 50 NBA players of all time, for Jordan to get over the hump. Because if Pippen kept scoring two points in game sixes and sevens of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Knicks would have went to probably three straight NBA championships. I like so. you guys' points on that, but here's my pushback for Phil. Okay, great. They they Pippen is very important, but here's the thing. There's another guy you're not talking about this just as important in that trio, and that's Dennis Rodman. Do you think – Horace? No. Hold, on, hold on, Horace Grant. Rodman was not there in the first three. It was Horace Grant was the well, my power point, well, my point. My point is about – somebody like Rodman and all the other players on that team. One thing we do know that Michael Jordan didn't necessarily get along with all his teammates. So you take that into consideration and then you take into the fact that at some point Dennis Rodman comes into this picture and he's a crazy loose cannon. Do you think that they are the same team without Phil Jackson there calling the shots, making sure how to keep everyone's ego in check and keeping everything under control? Like, I think that is a very underrated part of why they were successful. Bob, do you want to answer that one? Do you think Phil was able to keep Michael Jordan's ego in check? I think Michael Jordan probably – well, uh, he, well, he ran a lot of 
I don't think anybody could keep Jordan's ego in check, but at least it's either keeping Jordan's ego in check or letting everyone else understand, look, like this is how Michael is. Let's compartmentalize it because it's all about winning. Like to get everybody on the same page with difficult personalities and still be successful at a historical pace, I think that can't go unnoticed. I'm not underestimating the coaching here. Don't get me wrong. I think Phil was instrumental in them winning championships, especially the Rodman years. What I'm saying is more important is Pippen because at the end of the day. Well, he's out there those, playing the game, actually. I get what you're saying. Those first three years didn't involve Rodman. It wasn't so much about ego. It was getting over that hump. And eventually the East just got easier because the Pistons were old. The Celtics were old. The Lakers were old in the NBA finals. So, yes, I'm not underestimating the, the coaching. Very important, especially with Rodman. But early on those first three years, that's what got Jordan over the hump was Scottie Pippen. So, yes, the, the second part of it may have been Phil Jackson was more important, but that was – he had Jordan had already won three rings. That solidified him as one of the greatest of all time anyway. So he didn't really I need Phil, – I think Phil had a lot to do with keeping everybody in-house under oh, control, but absolutely, debate, Absolutely, helps. but not those first three years. I think Phil Jackson was still just as young. No one saw him as the Zen master yet. So, I hate that. I hate that nickname. I mean, that's what his nickname was. But um, the next topic, I love this one a lot, fictional sports movie character. Now, it's fictional. Don't give me a real life based on a true story one, all right? Fictional. <laughs> Who is the best fictional sports movie character of all time? JT, you go first. See, I, had, I really had a tough time with this question because are we going by – this was the favorite to me or who would be who would be the best fictional character in real life if it were true however you want however you want to come up with it you make the argument for whichever way you go um if i'm going favorite just not based on any kind of talent i gotta go with uh willie beeman uh any given <laughs> sunday just because i, I dude, knew you were going there that's 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 what everyone like that's everyone's worst nightmare of nfl quarterback just like he's talented but you can't tell him what to do so he's my favorite character. But if I had to pick one that if it were a real life person, it'd be most the most successful. Dude, you got to go with Bobby Boucher, the water boy. Dude, he would break <laughs> every sack record. Nobody could block him. You take him number one overall and he smashes every NFL defensive record. Like he'll change your franchise for the next 15 years. He could play a little offense too. Um, Bob, how about you? Well, I, I want to give an honorable mention First to uh, Lucy Draper from the Texas State Armadillos. <laughs> the kicker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, female kicking Kathy, in major. Kathy Ireland, correct? Kathy Ireland, kick, kicker in a major college football program. Made, made a pressure kick in the rain against Kansas. I mean, she's break, she was breaking barriers down for women everywhere. So, I got to give her a shout out, but. I got to go with Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. I mean, he ripped the cover off the ball. <laughs> I like that one. I figured you'd go baseball. Uh, my two honorable mentions, Jesus Shuttlesworth. Come on, guys. He was like the LeBron James before but LeBron that's kinda, James. That's, kinda, that's basically a real person. No, it's it's basically not. him. It's, it's basically it's, him. It's a real NBA player playing him, but it's still a fictional character. That's 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 like blurring the lines right there. Like, that's really a real person. He played himself. That's what I like to do, right? 
that gray area. Uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez from the Sandlot. Sandlot. He had a, he had a high ceiling with talent, but the 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 best fiction, fictional sports character. This is all based on talent and how he performed in the clutch moment. I think Bob will appreciate this. From the scout, Steve Nebraska pitched a perfect game in the World Series for the Yankees, hit two home runs. He could not be hit 100-plus mile-per-hour fastball. Steve Nebraska. JT has no idea who that is. Go watch <laughs> the movie, The Scout. Come on, JT. Is that, is that the one with Brendan Fraser? Yes. There okay. you go. There you Hold go. On. Two more honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> I gotta go with he's not he's not a good guy, but I gotta go with Bud Kilmer just because <laughs> <laughs> Bud Kilmer showed everyone what the real deal is behind the scenes. Like that's literally how everything is run in, in high school and college football at the major level. So shout out to Bud Kilmer. And we gotta pour one out for I don't know if you guys know who this is, but for Alvin Mack from the program. That is the person I felt the worst for it. Good kid played the game hard and then just got his knee messed up. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, if we want to talk about knee injuries, you got to go with Booby Miles. That's true. That's a real character. Um, see, that's the tough thing, kind of distinguishing the real from the fictional sports characters. Um, so Sylvester Stallone, speaking of fictional sports characters, even though some think this is uh, Rocky was based on Chuck uh, Wepner, but Stallone said that his best movie was Rocky, the original, but he's most proud of Rocky Balboa. Bob, do you agree with, with that statement? Uh, absolutely not. Ooh, I mean, I did not see that coming. <laughs> Rocky Balboa shouldn't have been made along with Rocky five. Uh, if I was Stallone, I'd be most proud of Rocky IV. I mean, he was bridging international gaps between United States and Russia. I mean, that's such an important movie in American history. If you can change and I can change, everybody can change. Uh, hey, kids, you, know, you got things you want to talk about. <laughs> He's dangerous. You, you can't fight him. Nobody knows what he's saying anymore. Do you, <laughs> do you agree? Uh, by the way, that was JT's impersonation of uh, of Rocky. Just to be clear, it's pretty pretty good, JT. You're you're good at imitating. Um, but do you agree with that comment, JT? His comment? Uh, no, it's a good point. But here's the thing: I, 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 me personally, I think he should be he should be proud of Creed because that allowed him to play the same character and bring the story to people who absolutely knew nothing about Rocky and still like, like get into everything else that he's done with Rocky. But for him to say it, I got to agree with it from his perspective, because most people who probably know Rocky don't even know it's Sylvester Stallone. They probably just know him. Oh, that's Rocky. So yeah. If anytime that people always call you by like a fictional character that you play, then yeah, it's your most important role in your career. I got to say no. And yes. Well, you gotta... Go ahead, Bob. Uh, you got to think that Rocky Four set up Creed because with that Apollo's death Apollo, in Rocky right. Four, ah, that continued yeah. the saga, right? So that may you're right. That may you made a good argument for why it's his most important. Um, well, I'm going to say no and yes. I think his best one may have been Rocky Two because that was kind of the the storyline for the rest of them, three, four, and and on, where like he runs into some adversity. 
doesn't really train, then trains really hard and ends up winning. But I agree with him that is he should be most proud of the Rocky Balboa because that put him back on the map. Because even though, Bob, you're right, with, without the storyline of Rocky Four, if Rocky Balboa flops too, now he's got Rocky Five that flop, Rocky Balboa that flop. No one's going to care about Creed. I don't even know if he writes Creed is the problem. So he kind of got his, uh, his mojo back with Rocky Balboa, and I think that's why he was most proud after such a long layoff. You know what? I'm changing my answer. You two are ridiculous. Nobody's going to show love for Demolition Man. That's his most important role of all time. <laughs> no, 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 no. He said he, of all. <laughs> he, he, saw, he, saw, he saw the future. He, he gave us what was going to happen in the future. No, he said he's mo- of all the Rocky movies, which one was he most proud of? Oh, I thought listen it was just any movie. Question. Yeah. Listen how, to the question. How could you not be proud of Demolition Man? That is that is a classic. Bob, this is what I have to deal with every episode. And <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I, I would go with over the top. <laughs> over the top, yes. Yes, turn the hat around Ken Griffey Jr. style. Yes, sir, as Bob is doing that now. Don't worry, Bob. You're going to lose the rest of these uh, debates. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> All right, so let's – Let's go back over to Bob's wheelhouse, college football. We're going to end it on this, and then obviously one of our uh, favorite um, segments after this will be, well, you're going to have to just wait to find out. So the over-under ACC football, uh, Vegas has come out with their over-under lines for the 2020 football season. So thought it would be a good – time to bring that up Bob let me go to you first we're gonna go Clemson we're gonna pick three teams first one Clemson Tigers the over under is 11 and a half you going with the over or the under now this is regular season wins it would not include playoffs or the ball right so I actually got to go with the under on this one I think Clemson's due to lose a regular season game you can't keep going all these seasons undefeated (laughs) in the regular season so that that 11 and a half that They'd have to go yeah, twelve and zero. You're right. They'd have right. to go undefeated. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're going under. Okay. JT, I'm going to take the over just because I think they're going to be the best team in college football next year. They got the best player in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's going to be tough to see them lose a game unless, um, of course, they lose to the Canes. Then yeah, I'll take the under. But that wouldn't be in the regular season. So are you going over or under? Over. Okay. I'm going to go over. And Bob, I, I agree with you. It is tough to keep running the table, but this is the thing. They're side of the ACC has not been very challenging. And you look at their non-conference this year, it's not as tough as it once was. Akron, Citadel, at home against South Carolina, and then Notre Dame on the road. So unless Notre Dame trips them up or a Florida State, you know, is back at an elite level, I just don't see them losing in the regular season. Uh, who's, who's their crossover game from their the Coastal? Cro- from the coastal, uh, that's a good question. I don't know who it normally is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who it normally is. I know it's not Miami, and I know it's not Pitt. Um, but that's a good question. I don't know who the two are this year. I didn't write them down, so they must have not have been very challenging. Okay. Um, Miami's is nine, a straight nine. JT, I'll go to you. Over or under? I'm actually going to go over because uh, I think Derek King is going to change life for the Hurricanes, so I can see us getting at least 10 wins. I hope. We'll see. Uh, Bob? I, I probably got them right at nine. Okay. So a push. So, yep. That's actually not a bad call. 
I'm going to go under and I'm just going to say this. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Because every time I'm optimistic, you let me down. So prove me wrong. I'm going to go with the under. Pitt, six and a half. I want to go first to Bob. That's your team. What do you got? I think that's such a lazy line on Pitt. They pretty much pick that every year. (laughs) I got them at seven and five at at worst, so I got to go over. They got got their whole defense pretty much coming back, plus guys that were supposed to start last year, uh, Keyshawn Camp and Rashad Weaver. They're coming back, and they were supposed to be the heart of that defense, and they didn't even play last year. So uh, they were – Ranked 15th in yards allowed last year, so I got to go with Pitt. I, it, you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be a three-year starter. I got to go over. Okay. I like that. JT. He actually talked me into it. I'm on, I'm on the over, too. <laughs> this has got Nathan Peterman season written all over it, and they got a good defense. So, yeah, I can see them going over. And they beat Clemson. Um, I'm going to go over as well. I, I don't think there's any respect here because I've got them down at – at least eight and five. And I'm saying at least because now Bob can attest to this. They usually have a one or two tough non-conference games in the past Penn state, the last couple of years before that Oklahoma state at times they played both on the same schedule. So this year, Marshall Richmond, Miami of Ohio, I got to go have them going three and oh, and then, you know, they're going to beat Virginia tech. That's four right there. The Miami game's always a toss up. And then, Syracuse Pitt probably will beat them so even if they don't beat Miami you got Pitt at six wins so um yeah I I think at eight but hopefully JT Miami will be uh one of the losses for Pitt this year let's hope if not Bob may not have may not be allowed back on (laughs) may not allowed to be back on the show if Miami loses the Pitt because I don't want (laughs) to have to hear it from Bob so Since we have Bob on as well, our uh, Pittsburgh sports historian, as well as college football, one of our college football experts we've added to our list, we got to go with running back you. Now, for the listeners at home, you can throw out a bunch of teams, Alabama, USC, but what we're going to debate here is, is it Pitt? Because, you know, for the casual college football fan, they may think Pitt. Well, I'm sure Bob's going to explain why. And then is it Pitt or is it Miami? So, Bob, you have the floor to start. You have first crack at it. Oh, I'm coming I'm coming right out the gates. I mean, <laughs> Tony Dorsett, between his college and NFL career, I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to go against him as being one of the best ever. I mean, he's number two all time, leading rusher in college football. Uh, he's still in the top ten in the uh, on the NFL rushing list. So right there, I mean, it's hard to top that. Uh, and then you got Curtis Martin. Now he he had some injuries at Pitt, but his uh, NFL career speaks for itself. And uh, there's only one team, there's only one college in history to produce. Two guys in the top ten NFL rushing leaders of all time. And it ain't Miami. It's Pitt. And then to follow that up, you got LaShawn McCoy. He's 22nd right now on the all-time NFL rushing list. Uh, And then you got to throw in guys like Ironhead, uh, James Conner, 
still got a long career to go. Uh, Deion Lewis, he's been a role player. Uh, Kevin Barlow, you know, a lot of people forget about him. He had some good seasons in San Francisco. And the thing about Pitt, it, it hasn't been just in one era. It's been spread out. Uh, so I'm going to hand it over to you guys now for the Miami part, and then I got a rebuttal for sure. Okay. Go ahead, JT. I'll let you start because you know me. I always bring the stats, so go ahead. I really struggle with this question because – What? I'm going to oh tell you what. Don't turn, JT. We will take that Miami, that 305 card from you. I'm going to tell you why I really struggle with this question because it's always the debate of the college versus the pros and how you balance that whole thing out. So it's no doubt about it. Like, Miami has the flashier running backs like because they're, they're known. Like, you got Gore, McGahee. Uh, Edrin James, like those guys are, are amazing. But like when you look at Pitt's top three running backs, two for sure Hall of Famers, like Dorsett and Curtis Martin. And then, uh, like it or not, I think LaShawn McCoy might get in at some point. So he's had a really good NFL career and he was good at Pitt. So I don't know. This was, this was really tough, but I'm just going to go with the home team just because it is <laughs> Miami and they won't allow me back in the city. But I'm just letting you know, it was, it wasn't just like a slam dunk runaway, but. I mean, come on, Edrin James, Gore, Portis, McGahee. And, like, even when you get off of that that top tier, you think about guys like, you know, like Duke Johnson, Lamar Miller, uh, even recently Travis Homer, uh, Mark Walton has showed he can play in the league. So even the guys, or Najee Davenport, even the guys that that aren't that superstar talent, like, they still get in the league and have decent careers. Um, Otis Anderson's another one. So um, – it, it was tough to judge, like, top for top, but I'm going with Miami just for that reason. Like, you guys got any era, but we got any level. So, like, our guys can get in the league and stay there for at least five or six years. So, I got to give props to Pitt, obviously. I, I think Bob forgets one of my favorite running backs from Pitt, Billy West. Great college football player, didn't translate to the pros. Um, so, Pitt is definitely up there. I, I think these are one and two. I think the only other team that could sneak in there is maybe Georgia. Uh, but I've got to go Miami, and I'll start small. From 90 to 2015, so a 25-year span, they had 13 running backs drafted. So that's literally every other year. They are turning them out. Think about that. That's every two years you got one drafted. So you've got them stockpiled. They produce two years later, bam, they're out and drafted. Repeat, right? And some of those guys – Let's get the big names out of the way. Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, Edron James, Frank Gore, and Lamar Miller among that group. But when you think of like, forget just the names, but just when you think about, okay, who's tight end you? It's Miami, right? Like on the top of your head, like forget about names. It's just, hey, you're going to tight end you. And I think running backs is the same way. It's Miami. And the other reason why is they, and Bob, you make a great point. You've got three of the top 22. But, you know, Miami has seven of the top 100 all-time rushers in the NFL. Gore is number three. Edge is number 13. O.J. Anderson is 30. Portis is 32. McGahee, 41. Chuck Foreman, the running back of the Vikings, those Super Bowl teams, number 94. Lamar Miller, number 97. So I look at it as you got to have quantity, which obviously Miami has, just like Pitt but then quality, that's where the drop-off is. 
yeah, you have Curtis and TD and McCoy, TD meaning Tony Dursett. But, but they also have LaRod Stevens howling too. Right, right. they drop <laughs> off to that second level because Gore's number three. Of Miami and Pitt guys, Gore is number one between both of those teams. Edge is number 13. And Miami has four guys who have rushed for more than 8,000 yards in the NFL. Actually, it's five. McGahee, Portis, O.J. Anderson, Edge, and Gore. So just like McCoy, Dorsett, and Curtis Martin with over 10,000 yards rushing, so does Miami. O.J. Anderson, Edron James, and Frank Gore. So not only do they have the quality that Pitt has, but now they have the quantity because then we forget about other guys, even guys who were drafted and made the NFL. I know Bob knows these guys. Warren Williams played for the Steelers. Najee Davenport played for the Steelers. And then you look at other guys. Travis Homer recently drafted. Mark Walton. Yeah, he's running the legal issues, but drafted recently. Alonzo Highsmith. If you want to go over the course of history, you could go back to O.J. Anderson and Chuck Foreman. But then in the 80s, Alonzo Highsmith, Melvin Bratton. I mean, now even another guy, Duke Johnson, recently drafted in his, in his playing in the NFL. And one other thing, Bob, and then you can have at it again. Go look up this article in April 2019 by the Pitt News. They even admit that Miami is running back you because in their article, and I quote, they basically have to recognize Miami as king. Well, for, first of all, so the person that wrote that article is probably the same person that voted for Shaq instead of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> He's losing all faith. <laughs> <laughs> so – a core of your guys are all from that like five year era. That's you, not a five year era. Edger and James is mid nineties. We're talking Duke Johnson, Travis Homer is to now. Travis Homer was two years well, ago. No, no, you, you got you got Edge, you got Portis, you got McGahee, and you got Gord. I mean, they're all that's a in Davenport. You got you're all centered in that one area, and you got that big Nevin Shapiro cloud. Hanging over that team. That has that has nothing to do. Oh, that has a lot to do with taking, it. That would be different if they were taking steroids. Hey, well, I'll tell you, you what. You, you lucky, have you, those guys lucky. on that team. He's lucky LaShawn McCoy did, got, didn't get hurt in high school because he was going to be at Miami, too, because he committed to us. So, Oh, yeah, he did. I, I give you that. That's the saving grace. McCoy ended up at Pitt. Imagine what he would have done if he would have ended up at Miami. This wouldn't even be a question. Well, we also had a guy from Pitt that left and went to Miami and did nothing. There's a lot of guys that came from Pennsylvania to Miami. That kind of started the downturn of our program. We started recruiting all those Pennsylvania guys. <laughs> I see what you're saying, Bob, but at the same time, guys like Chuck Foreman, O.J. Anderson. But again, it's, okay, not only the quantity or not only the quality, but quantity. I mean, you can still go back into the 80s. Bratton and Highsmith, those were big-time guys. They're big like, Bratton. Bratton was terrible on the Broncos. Man. Well, he got he was injured. Remember, he blew out his knee in the in the in the Orange Bowl against Oklahoma when they won the title. So his draft stock would have been a lot higher. But I don't think you can just dismiss it and say, "Well, okay, who were the other running backs from the '80s and '70s that Pitt had?" Because you look at all the names that you're naming, besides Hayward and Tony Dorsett, those are all from Curtis Martin '92, '93, and on as well. I should have did a little bit more research. You should have. Yeah. You should have. You, know, you know who you're dealing with. He's going to have all the numbers. Well, I, I think it is a great debate. I think, like I said, you could throw Georgia in there. You've got Herschel Walker, Heisman Trophy winner. Then you've got guys like Terrell Davis in there. 
and now the newer guys with Gurley, uh, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. You can go back to Robert Edwards back in the day. And I, I immediately thought of USC, too. In USC, Marcus Allen, OJ Simpson. They've had some other guys, Reggie Bush. Um, but I feel like with USC, they had a big gap, though, between Marcus Allen and Reggie Bush. I feel like there was a yeah. big gap there where they weren't churning them out like like normal. So I'll tell, tell you who's underrated. I mean, they obviously, when you talk about the pro level, they can't compare. But in college, I feel like they're – they're in that second tier is Wisconsin. Yes. Like they've had so many running backs. When you go back and look at that list, you're like, damn, like it's not just Ron Dane. Alabama recently too, you know, the last 10, 15 years as well. Um, Yeah. So Bob, you want to throw in any other two cents here before we move on? No. All right. Does this mean you, 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 you decided to go quantity over quality? No, I was, no, no, no. I was thinking I, like top I, three. I think it's both. I think it's both because, yes, I would say top three overall. Yeah, I mean, come on. Tony Dorsett is the difference maker there because Curtis Martin and Frank Gore. They're I, the same guy. I think <laughs> in the end of the forever. day, they're just really, really good running backs, but they're not flashy. They're not the Marshall Falks. They're not Barry Sanders. And then – you know, McCoy and Edge. No, nah, that's not a competition. I mean, Edge, Edge has got that. I, I mean, I think they're almost kind of the same two in their prime. So Tony, Tony Dorsett's the difference. But if you want to stop there, I would maybe say, okay, but I think it's both quality and quantity because we're talking about running back you. Are you producing them to the pros year in and year out? And also, that's, that's where I would want to go if I was a running back, is what I'm saying. Also, to his point, the three that he mentioned, like who's your who's your fourth counter for McGahee? Because I think people underrate like what he did like early in his career. Like he was a good running back in the NFL. And I don't think that anybody at Pitt had a season that one season like he had where he scored like 28 touchdowns. Like that was insane. So I think like like Donato said, it's it's quality. You guys have that, we have that, but we have quantity. All those guys on the NFL rushing list, that's impossible to ignore. The thing Miami is missing, Bob, is the Heisman Trophy winner of the running back. Because they hate us. They're not giving us that. <laughs> Which McGahee, I thought, made one great argument the year that uh, – He scored the, just like 28 touchdowns. Yeah, the 2002 yeah. season when he blew out his knee in, the, uh, I believe, the 03 Fiesta Bowl. Dirtiest so, play of all time. <laughs> I don't think that was dirty. But anyway, Bob, welcome to the show. You – are now part of the trivia time that I love to have because <laughs> JT doesn't like to have it. So, hey, I'll take credit for it. We got three questions, guys. See if you got a shot at these. These are pretty interesting. First one, NFL. All right. Only three players have been a first-team All-Pro for three different teams. I think you can get two of these if you really think about it. All right. Three players. First team all pro for th- on three different teams. Well, one of them's got to be Dion, right? Yeah. Yes. Was- <laughs> there you go. Dion Sanders. Yes, sir. Wow. Let's see. Um, Rod Woodson? No, that would have been a good one, though. What's, um, I'll give you a hint. One, one is in our era, and then another one was 50s. I'll say. I believe it was the – I want to say it was the 70s. Um, Define our era. (laughs) 
Our era is late 80s, <laughs> late late 80s to mid 2000s. You can't say our era. They're like, oh, the other guy played the 70s. That's like the same time. <laughs> what? No, like we're late 80s to mid 2000s is when we really, I think, paid attention. I mean, we pay attention now, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like an older player that would have played for that many teams because usually guys didn't jump around like that. And the only like. Did Didka play for three teams? Yeah, because you're if you're all pro three it, times, it, man. It was not. It was not Didka though. Okay. Good guess. Good guess. It was not Didka. Is Marcus Allen one of them? No, I will say one of these guys. Bob is not a big fan of. Hmm. It's got to be a receiver. <laughs> and we talk. And we talk about him. We talk about him a good bit. Randy Moss. Randy Moss. No, you're getting close. <laughs> T.O. There you go. T.O. Uh, yeah. And who else? The, the 70s old, guy. The old timer. Yep. Oh. It's got to be some linebacker. Elected the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1990. Jack Tatum. Here's another hint. JT, he is in the ring of honor in the stadium for the Miami Hurricanes. Oh, damn. I don't even pay attention to that. I'll give you five seconds. Five. Nick Bonacani. <laughs> Ted Hendricks. He uh-huh. played the Baltimore Corps, Colts, Packers, and Oakland and LA Raiders. So, all right, not bad. You got two of three. I'll give you two of three there. All right, college football, here we go. This is a little tough though. The Texas USC 2006 Rose Bowl, which was recently on ESPN, got me thinking about this one. It featured the top three Heisman candidates by votes for that year. Reggie Bush, Vince Young, and Matt Liner. It, was, it has been one of only three games in college football history to feature the top three in Heisman voting. What are the other two games? Oh. Is another one of the games a USC game? Because, yes. Yes. okay, so it's got to be yes. when they played Oklahoma. It was, was it Liner, Jason White, and then who else was? Who the, was the third one? That is the right the, game. The 05 the Orange Bowl. The third guy is difficult, but you're going to be like, oh, my goodness. Liner, Jason White, and who is the other player? It's not um, Reggie Bush. 05. Um, was it Dwayne Jarrett or Jared. one of those receivers? Nope. Oklahoma and USC. Who was the third? Who's the third? Adrian wheel? Peterson. There you go. Adrian oh, okay. Peterson. All right. Good job. This other one, I highly doubt you will get it, even though Bob is somewhat of a college football expert and historian. You guys want to take a shot? It's from the 70s. <laughs> Army Let's think Day. about what rivalry was big in the 70s. Michigan, Ohio State. No, nah, not a bad guess, though. It was a conference matchup, but not a Big Ten conference. Oklahoma, Texas? Ooh, you were close. Oklahoma, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yes, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Johnny Rogers, Greg Pruitt, and Rich Glover 
uh, Johnny Rogers was the Heisman winner. So not See, bad. Need, you need to have him on this segment more often because I feel like when he's on, I do better. <laughs> you, you got yes, you have, you have teamwork. All right, last one. We're gonna go college basketball. Again, missing March Madness would have been a uh, Final Four weekend. Who is the last college men's basketball player to win most outstanding player in the tournament and then later coach at that school? Like I know Bob, Bob is not big in the college basketball, so JT, you got to carry the load here. <laughs> is it Patrick Ewing? Woo! Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Good there call. We go. Patrick Ewing, who is currently coaching at Georgetown University. So, Bob, once again, thank you for coming on, spending the episode with us. Uh, great job. Thanks for your insight. We hope you had fun. And uh, we hope you'd love to come back on in the future, man. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. I had a good time. And uh, hopefully we can come up with some uh, uh, more cor corona topics because <laughs> that's where I hope I excel at. But <laughs> Yeah, I think that's everyone's favorite because it's just basically there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's all opinion, all on what you can kind of remember. So it's those are fun topics, kind of takes you back in time. Um, so to the fans out there, thank you very much for listening to us. JT, great episode. Um, and remember to please subscribe to us, JT and the Don podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And please remember, if you like what we do, please leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, Leave us a five-star review. Also, please follow us on social media, our handle at JT and the Dawn. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so, once again, thanks for listening out there. Please stay safe, practice social distancing, and JT, until the next episode, see ya. Peace. Peace.